You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. I think probably the best place to start when we talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus. So we're going to go to John chapter 14, and we're going to let Jesus introduce the Holy Spirit to us. He's going to be the, the teacher on, uh, on this topic. And I hope that this passage that we look at, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 31. I hope that in this passage, we get two, two things answered. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? And number two, what does he do? Who is the Holy Spirit? And what does he do? All right, here's the context for John 14, what's going on. Jesus has said to his disciples that he has poured into, that he has invested in for over three years. He has been with them almost every moment, that he is about to leave them. And sorrow has filled their hearts. You can imagine if your best friend in your life is telling you that they're going to leave you, that's a very sorrowful thing uh, in itself. But in addition to that, he has told them that they must stay that he's going away and they're not going to go with him the same way and they must continue to follow him. They must continue to, to, to uh, follow his commands, continue to advance the gospel, continue the spread of the kingdom. And here's how he uh, opens up this section in John 14. Look at verse 15. He says something rather startling. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Maybe in today's modern ears, something even more shocking than the idea of what the Holy Spirit does is that Jesus is saying something about keeping his commandments or obeying him and defining a relationship of love based on obedience. Uh, that's what he says in verse 15. He also says that in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is. Who loves me? Look at verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Look at verse 24. He says, he states it in the negative. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Now, Jesus is on his way to the cross. So we need to understand that he is going to fulfill the law and fulfill obedience for us on the cross. So praise God, he is going to do that fully and finally in, at the cross and in his resurrection. Nevertheless, he gives a statement of their obedience. He, hear what he says. Salvation is offered to anyone, verse 23. It's offered to whoever, verse 21 and 24. It's offered to you, he says in verse 15. He says the relationship is a relationship defined by love. Nine times the word love shows up in 15 through 31. I mean, it's unmistakable the priority of love, both from Jesus to the disciples and from the disciples to Jesus. But this relationship also involves their responsibility. If anyone keeps my word or my commandments, two times it's word, two times it's commandments. There's a responsibility. The disciples are to be responsibly keeping. And that word means to treasure or to guard, to, to treasure it, to guard it, and to obey. That's what it means to be 
a follower of Jesus. That could actually be kind of shocking to, to some people. To follow Jesus means real obedience to his word. Hear what Jesus is saying. You cannot love me and disregard keeping my word. You can't love Jesus and hate his word or somehow disconnect Jesus from the word of God or from the Bible. Likewise, you can't like the Bible. You can't be a Bible fan and disregard Jesus. He is a package deal. To love Jesus, to, to know Jesus, is to know him through his word and to keep his word, treasure his words, and to seek to obey his word. Now, a great question is, how will the disciples do that? How are they going to keep his words? How are they going to actually accomplish that? Or, or maybe you're sitting here today going, okay, how am I going to accomplish that? Up until this point, the disciples have been overconfident. They have been competitive. They have had prejudice issues galore. They have been fearful. They have been unloving and unkind. They've been asleep at the wheel. They've had sort of moments of sparkle, but largely they've failed uh, over and over again. And yet the expectation is that they treasure and keep his words. And so verse 16 comes as great relief to these disciples. And it's in, it's in the same breath that Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That in verse 16, he says the word and. And this is a really powerful uh, word that transitions us into a promise. Verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This word helper in the Greek simply means counselor, comforter, somebody who comes alongside to bring comfort to you, to bring insight and help and encouragement to you. It also means advocate, like in a courtroom, somebody who stands and defends you. And it also means intercessor, somebody who goes between two parties to, to bring help. There's a lot in this, this word helper. And notice the way that he describes the helper. Verse 16, he's another helper. So this helper, the Holy Spirit, is one with the Father and one with the Son, but distinct from the Father and the Son. One in essence. Fully God, but distinct in his personhood. So he's another helper. Certainly the Father's a helper. Certainly the Son is a helper. But this is another helper Jesus speaks of. Look at verse 16. He's eternal. He is to be with you forever. His nature is eternal. Jesus never created the Spirit, just like the Father never created the Son. The Father has been eternal. The Son has been eternal. And the Spirit has always been, and Jesus says he will be with you forever. He will not come and go. He will, once he comes, he will be with you forever. It's a promise. Verse 17, Jesus describes the Spirit as even the Spirit of truth. He will often describe the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth, not the Spirit of error. Uh, error uh, sends us into confusion and binds us up. But Jesus says in John 10, the truth makes you free. You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. And the Apostle Paul will say, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How does freedom come? Freedom comes from the truth. How does the truth come? 
The truth comes into our life from the spirit of truth who makes us free through the truth. And the Holy Spirit is deeply personal. Look at verse 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Not which or that, but whom. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you. So the spirit is a person, not an it or a thing. It's not as though you have the father and you have the son and you have it. You have the spirit who is fully person and not an impersonal thing or an ethereal force. Uh, so that's, that, that would be a wrong way of thinking of the, the experiencing the Spirit as I felt it or something like that. We're not the word place, but the proper way of thinking about that is He uh, comes and we experience Him. In verse 17, He is intimate. Notice, He dwells with you. And will be in you. That's surprising. He tells his disciples the Spirit of God is going to dwell among you. They saw the Spirit dwell with and among Jesus and do supernatural things. And he says that same Spirit is going to dwell among you corporately. When you gather, something unique is going to happen. And in addition to that, he is going to dwell in you personally. So notice uh, we could surmise from what Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit. If you connect that to what he has just said about obedience, we understand something about how we're supposed to continue to follow Jesus. Obedience is absolutely required, unmistakable in this context. And obedience is absolutely impossible apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So hear the expectation. You're going to follow. You're going to obey. You're going to keep my commands. You're going to treasure. And you absolutely cannot do this on your own. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is one of the three persons of the Trinity who gives supernatural help to people who need help to love and follow God. Well, how does the Spirit help us? How specifically does Jesus speak of the Spirit's help? Well, at least three ways in this passage. The first way that the Spirit helps us is He helps us experience God's love. He helps us experience God's love. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, the disciples are with Jesus physically. They've seen Jesus do a lot of supernatural things over the course of three years. But now Jesus is promising to manifest himself to his disciples. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament, and it means to disclose or to show in a very unique or very special way. So they, again, they've seen a lot. They've, they've been shocked over and over again by what Jesus has done, and now Jesus is saying, I'm going to show myself, I'm going to disclose myself in a special way that up to this point you've not experienced yet, which is, wow, that's Alarming. And Judas, 
not Iscariot in verse 22. He's the only brave disciple who asks, how is this possible, Jesus, that you're going to manifest yourself to us? He says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me and keeps my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So it's an interesting way that Jesus answers that question. Judas is asking, Jesus, how will you do it? Jesus is answering how we will do it. So he says, let let me back it up. I will ask of my Father, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is indicating that there is a home that dwells with God and among God that he is going to share with the disciples. He is essentially saying, I will, in concert with my Father, move in through the Holy Spirit and share our fellowship with him. Now that phrase, make our home, uh, we need to think about that. Because home, according to the Bible and the New Testament, is a place of safety. It's a place of joy. It's intended that way. To, we're supposed to think of that as, as intended by God as a place of love, a place of laughter, a place of fellowship, a place where you long to be place where you can let your hair down and kick your feet up and finally be home. And I know some of you have not come from homes like that. Some of you have reacted to a situation where you didn't come from a home like that, and you're trying to create a place of safety and joy and love for your family. Well, that's the idea of home. And that is what Jesus is promising, that we will come and make our home with them. And he has spoken of home earlier in John chapter 14. In fact, he says in verse 2, In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus knows we long for a place to call home, and we long for heaven as our home. There is no perfect place that describes that in any situation in our lives. As much as we try to create heaven here, it's not here. It will never be here. And Jesus says, I'm going away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and that is your home. And you're to think about that home as your dwelling place, your final destination. That's where we are heading. In verse 3 of chapter 14, he says, and I go and prepare a place for you. That's one of the things Jesus is doing in his absence, is to prepare a home or a place for us. And I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And that is so comforting to know that Jesus is right now preparing a home for us, and he is saying the Spirit is going to guide us to that place, that place of joy, that place of safety, that place of love and laughter, and the place where we will be forever. And yet in this section, Jesus is saying something even more than that. Not only does the Holy Spirit take us home to heaven, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit brings heaven home to us. He brings the fellowship and the joy and the love of heaven home, personally, internally. To us. You all know the movie Home Alone. 
Could anybody go for a little home alone right now in your life? But do you know the unassuming and secret and quiet hero of Home Alone, Gus Polinski, played by the late John Candy? If you don't, you'll remember him as the polka king of the Midwest. And what Gus does is he is the hero that Kevin McAllister never, never knew he needed in a million years. Kevin was quite resourceful, and he thought he wanted an empty house all to himself. But when he realized how dangerous, precarious the situation that he was in, he wanted to get to his family. And the family wanted to get to Kevin. And the only person who could get the family home, could get mom home to Kevin, is Gus. And Gus does that, and in so doing, transforms an empty and dangerous house into a home again. And I know that's a silly illustration, but that, that adequately describes our hearts apart from God. Our hearts are empty. Our hearts are lonely. Our hearts are dangerous until God comes and makes his home in us. I think this is the way the Apostle Paul describes being filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think that's one of the first experiences of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to experience God making his home of love in us. Well, number two, the Spirit helps us experience God's truth. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So notice what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to objective truth. Don't hear uh, experiencing God's love as purely a subjective thing. The Holy Spirit engages our minds and points us to objective truth in concert with the subjective experience. One way to think about that is the Holy Spirit sort of turns the lights on about the truth of who God is. He turns the lights on. And sometimes that light is very bright. Maybe you've had an experience like that where, wow, uh, that was a bright light. You didn't see God that way. You didn't see his, his love or his comfort or his truth that way. Or you didn't feel the conviction about sin like you should have. And there's a bright light that, that he shines. And sometimes it's a slow uh, glimmer and a slow comforting glimmer where something got clearer in your life uh, about who, who he is, who God is. Uh, you're reading scripture and suddenly something stands out. Anybody ever experienced that? Uh, you're just reading along and uh, all of a sudden something, something jumps out at you and it brought either conviction or comfort or encouragement or strength or joy or any number of, of things. Well, that's what the Spirit does when he turns the lights on. J.I. Packer, in his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, describes it this way. He says, I remember walking to a church one winter evening to preach on the words, He shall glorify me, in John 16. And seeing the building floodlit as I turned a corner and realizing that this was exactly the illustration that my message needed. When floodlighting is well done, the floodlights are so placed that you do not see them. 
You're not, in fact, supposed to see where the light is coming from. What you're meant to see is just the building on which the floodlights are trained. The intended effect is to make it visible when otherwise it would not be seen for the darkness. And to maximize its dignity by throwing all its detail into relief so that you see it properly. This perfectly illustrates the Spirit's new covenant role. He is, so to speak, the hidden floodlight shining on the Savior. Or think of it this way. It's as if the sun stands behind us, throwing light over our shoulder and onto Jesus, who is standing facing us. The Spirit's message is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me. But always look at him and see his glory. Look at him and hear his word. Go to him and have life. Get to know him and taste his gift of joy and peace. And it's a great moment right now to acknowledge if you are in a place where you need peace. And you need joy, and we are all there in some way that we have got to look to him. We've got to listen to him. We've got to go to him. We've got to get to know him. And that's why we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to shine the light on Jesus. So he helps us to experience and to see the truth of God. And lastly, I believe that Jesus teaches us in this passage that the Holy Spirit helps us experience God's power. We experience God's love. We experience his truth, but also experiencing his very power. Look at verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. See, the peace in and of itself is power. My very peace, Jesus says, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Is anybody afraid right now? Listen to the words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Jesus is saying, I'm going to pour something out upon you. I'm going to pour the Spirit out upon you. And if you knew what was coming, you would have rejoiced. He'll say the exact same thing in John 16 when he says, But because I've said these things to you about his departure, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's why our hearts should be filled with joy, disciples, is because I'm going away and you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out broadly among you, making you filled with not only love and truth, but power. Author and pastor J.D. Greer says, says it this way. I think he adequately captures how, how they heard it and how we hear this. Imagine how absurd that must have sounded to those disciples. It was to their advantage that Jesus leave. How awesome would it have been to have Jesus as your personal pastor? Every sermon would be a 10. Some of you are like, yeah, I'd like that. (laughs) Every sermon a 10. Every mission strategy heaven sent. Every decision divine. If you had a theological question, he could just answer it. 
If offerings were low one month, he could send out a deacon to catch a fish with $1,000 in its mouth. See Matthew 17, 27. Even those benefits, he says, would be inferior, Jesus tells us, to a church of ordinary Christians empowered with the Holy Spirit. All of those advantages that they experienced for three years, Jesus is saying is inferior to them being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. Now, there is no more of an ordinary character in the Bible than Peter. Peter's overconfident. Peter's zealous. Peter assumes he's not going to fail. And then he denies Jesus three times the very night that Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And one time in front of a frightened child, a little girl, that he could not muster up the courage. He, he didn't have the courage to make a stand for Jesus. And you and I all know what it's like to be Peter. You've all experienced those moments where I can't believe I don't even have the courage to take a stand for Jesus in such a small moment, right? I'm such a failure as a disciple. But Peter experiences the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter struggles later, and we, we all struggle, but he encounters the Holy Spirit when the Spirit's poured out. And, and in that, in Acts chapter 2, right after the Spirit is poured out, Peter and John heal a well-known beggar at the temple. Everyone knew this beggar. Everybody passed by every single day and gave him something or just recognized who he was. But Peter and John uh, prayed for him, and through the Holy Spirit, God heals the beggar. And he starts rejoicing and running through the town. And they all recognized that this man was truly a cripple and is now healed. Well, the religious leaders are nervous about that. And they bring Peter and John in front of them. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Notice, they recognized there was real power coming from ordinary people. By what power? By what name? And then Peter, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if I could just pause right there. If you are here today and you are wondering, is there another name that can save me? Or maybe you're clinging to another name that can save you. Hear the words of Peter. There is no other name that can give you life and can forgive all of your sins. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And you must be saved. And that's the only way to be saved is through Jesus. And you can receive salvation. You can receive new life and forgiveness by calling upon, calling upon the name of Jesus even this morning. It says, it says, now when they saw, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. 
That's what happens when people see the Holy Spirit at work in and among, in power among ordinary people, and they recognize that they had been with Jesus. Ordinary Christians empowered with the Holy Spirit are bold in their love towards other people, and people begin to see Jesus. Well, Jesus shares all of this about the Holy Spirit, and then he says in verse 29, And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. So notice, they're they're going into spiritual battle. We are going into spiritual battle. But the ruler of this world, the devil, has no claim on me. On Jesus, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And he says, Rise, let us go from here. And they're about to go into difficulty. They're about to go into darkness. They're going to about to go into a lot of things from there, and so are we. But what he has promised them as they rise and go, and what God promises us as we rise and go, is that we can today and tomorrow experience God's truth. We can experience God's love and we can experience God's power if we call upon him and we ask for his help because that's what he is. God is a helper through the Holy Spirit and he helps us. And that's very hopeful. Can you relate to anything that I have just shared with you? Do you need to experience more of God's love in your life? Would you say, that's, what I, that's me. I want to experience more of God's love. I want to experience more of the fellowship of God at home in my heart. Or maybe you'd say, I need to experience truth. I need to be set free from some lies that I have been personally believing or something's frightening me. I'm believing something. I don't know that it's from God. I need to be pointed to the truth right now. Or maybe you'd say, man, I need to experience more of God's power. I'm I'm fearful, and I need his peace at work in my life. I need that kind of boldness uh, in my family, in my neighborhood, on the job. I need more of God's power. Or maybe you'd say, I need all all the above. That's kind of where I'm at. I need all three. Well, we want to teach you. I'm going to teach it today and, and then throughout this series this summer. A simple prayer. And Charles Spurgeon prayed this prayer. Puritans prayed this prayer. Lots of people have prayed, prayed this way, and it's just simple. It's a it's simple expression of help, and it's simply this. Charles Spurgeon prayed, come Holy Spirit. He did it at a prayer meeting. Come Holy Spirit. He says, we can do nothing without you. Come Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. I, I honestly in my life have never known a moment where if I've prayed that from a heart of just trust and dependence and vulnerability, that God has not answered that prayer some way. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're about to sing and invite the Spirit to come. And I want to invite you to pray that way right now. And you don't have to do this at all, but if you want to, I want to invite you to uh, even posture yourself to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, if you're a Christian, the Spirit dwells in you. But posturing ourselves like this helps us to remember that we need and we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit, who in Acts 2 was poured out upon the church. So it's just a really an expression of dependence. And if you would like, you just open up your hands 
to the Lord. Nothing magical or weird about it. It's just a, it's just a statement of dependence and need. Uh, often how I worship is just hands kind of like that, just kind of in a receiving posture. And let's pray for that. Let's pray. You can pray this quietly in your heart. You can pray it out loud. You can. But let's pray now for the Holy Spirit to come. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.